So 27 years ago, this week, Harry Potter was born. Well, he wasn't really born because he's just a story and he lives in a magical world that doesn't really exist. But nevertheless, uh, he has captivated readers for uh, 25 years. That's how long it's been since the first Harry Potter book was published. There's a lot of debate about the merits or the lack thereof of the Harry Potter stories, but at bottom, it's a story about the fight between good and evil. And it is a fight that is played out throughout the whole wizarding world of Harry Potter, and it is a fight that plays out in each of the characters. We see, especially in the main characters, Harry and Ron and Hermione, the struggle to choose good and to do the right thing over and over again. Uh, Carolyn Brown, who writes a blog on uh, children and worship, uh, she puts it this way. She says, choices matter. Dumbledore tells Harry at one point, it is our choices, Harry, that show who we truly are, far more than our abilities. And Harry and his friends have to make repeated choices. And each one, they decide uh, what kind of person they will be. You didn't know you were doing that every time you made a choice, right? Deciding what kind of person you would be. Whether they're making a choice about how they treat a friend in class or how to deal with a magical enemy in some enchanted forest, in each choice, they decide what kind of person they will be. At the beginning, Harry and Voldemort are both boys with very similar magical powers. Both were orphans. Both were lonely. Uh, Voldemort chooses to try to make himself immortal, even though it required the destruction of many people. Harry chose, chooses to love the people around him, to take care of others. In the final battle, he chooses, spoiler alert, just in case you haven't read this, in the final battle, he, you'd plug your ears if you haven't read it, or he chooses to die in order that others would be able to live. Over the course of the books, Harry becomes aware that he is the, the chosen one, but it is clear that he has uh, free will. He must uh, choose to do the brave, loving things needed to be the chosen one. At any one point, he could opt out. Here's the thing, Carolyn Brown says. We are all chosen by God. We are the chosen ones. The elect is the language, of course, of reformed theology. We are chosen, and God cares about our decisions. And that's something that Paul says in our text from Romans this morning, too. And that's something we see here in the Harry Potter stories as well. Here's another story for you. This one's older than Harry Potter. Uh, a boy and his brother were playing in the apple orchard. Dad was in the barn, milking the cows, doing the evening chores. Mom was in the house with the baby. It was harvest time. Uh, and this seven-year-old and his little six-year-old brother had watched all day long as Dad and the hired men climbed up and down ladders in the orchard picking apples. Up and down all day, the seven-year-old uh, watched and longed to climb those ladders like Dad like the men and the big boys helping out, up and down, up and down, all day long he had watched them. The end of the day, the ladders were set down under the trees now, flat on the ground, uh, best to take away any temptation, right? The boys were too small, after all, and the ladders too heavy for them to get any ideas uh, of raising them themselves. 
uh, into the trees and climbing. Mom and Dad had been very clear all day long, had told them very clearly, you are not under any circumstance uh, to climb the apple trees. We don't want you falling out and hurting yourselves. Do you understand? They had been asked numerous times. Yes, yes, of course. The little toe-headed boys responded, nodding their heads absently. Yes, yes, we understand. We won't climb the apple trees. You know where the story's going, right? When dad was in the barn and mom was in the house, what did they do? Of course, they tried to shimmy up the trunks themselves, to lift themselves up into those low, inviting apple tree branches. The seven-year-old didn't make it very far. He hoisted himself up one trunk, maybe two feet off the ground at most, his feet. Um, not high enough to even really be considered climbing, uh, for that matter. Then he let go of the branch uh, above his head, let himself fall awkwardly to his feet. And then he tumbled to the ground. Only this is where things went wrong. As he flopped down clumsily on the ground, his little seven-year-old wrist landed squarely on a metal rung on one of those aluminum ladders, resting there from its labors under the apple tree. There was an audible crack and a lot of pain and a hand that hung limply from the wrist. The seven-year-old cries as he cradles his arm to his chest, stabilizing it with the good arm. Every time his arm moved, pain shot up all the way to his shoulder. The seven-year-old cries, and the six-year-old probably did too, watching his older brother in pain. Uh, I'll go get mom and dad, the six-year-old says. No, 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 please, no, says the older, but still little brother. No, no, we were told not to climb the trees, he thinks to himself. We'll be in trouble. I'll be in trouble. Well, the six-year-old runs to get a parent anyway. The seven-year-old, arm cradled to his chest, crying in pain, makes his way to the farthest corner of the orchard, thinking to hide, afraid he's going to be in trouble. Guilt and pain together make him miserable on a beautiful, crisp autumn evening. You can imagine how this story ends. Dad comes running up from the barn. Mom comes out from the house. They are not angry. Uh, only concerned, and only want to take away the pain of their, of their child. He's taken to the hospital, and a broken wrist is confirmed. A cast is put on from the base of the fingers all the way up to the shoulder, immobilizing the arm so that the wrist can heal. Uh, more than enough room for Mrs. Rosenberger's entire grade one ca uh, class to sign the cast. The arm, uh, the arm is fine now, almost 45 years later, as you can see. <laughs> but I will tell you, that experience has stuck with me. Not just because it was painful and traumatic uh, for a little seven-year-old me, but also because it was probably uh, the earliest and clearest sense I had of feeling guilt. Guilt and shame and fear of getting in trouble. Knowing that I had disobeyed and disappointed my parents and probably deserved exactly what I had gotten. I was an Old Testament kind of a kid, you see, with little sense of God's love or Christ's forgiveness or Paul's understanding of grace that makes things new. We don't 
talk a whole lot about sin anymore. It's become somewhat of a, a, an outmoded idea. And yet, as Barbara Brown Taylor argues in her book, speaking of sin, the lost language of salvation, without the concept of sin, we lose the relief, the, the, the release, the peace of forgiveness. Uh, the synopsis of her book puts it it's, uh, this way. In speaking of sin, Barbara Brown Taylor brings uh, a fresh perspective to a cluster of words that often cause us uh, discomfort and have widely fallen into neglect. You'll feel that sense of discomfort as I read these words. Sin, damnation, repentance, penance, and salvation. Ugh. She asks, uh, why then should we speak of sin anymore? The only reason I can think of is because we believe that God means to redeem the world uh, through us. Abandoning the language of sin won't make it go away, she says. Human beings will continue to experience uh, alienation, uh, deformation, damnation, and death, no matter what we call them. Abandoning the language will simply leave us speechless before them and increase our denial of their presence in our lives. Ironically, it will also weaken the language of grace, since the full impact of forgiveness cannot be felt apart from the Im full impact of what has been or what needs to be forgiven. The people who don't like to speak about sin are the same people who are allergic to the time of confession in corporate worship. Uh, why do we have to think about what we've done wrong? We're we're all trying our, be our best. I'd rather focus on what we can do than what you call sin. That's what they say. The people who don't like to speak about sin don't like to think, uh, um, don't like to think critically about almost anything. They don't like to think uh, critically about uh, America. They would rather be optimistic about our nation. They don't like to look back over history and catalog. America's failings, uh, where's the use in that, they say, just as they are unwilling to revisit personal failings and history for the same reason. Contrary to the prevailing view, though, Barbara Brown Taylor calls sin a, a helpful and hopeful word. Naming our sins, she contends, enables us to move from guilt to grace. In recovering the lost language of salvation, uh, in our worship and in the fabric of our individual lives, we have an opportunity to take part in the divine work of redemption. The Apostle Paul is enthusiastic about the grace and forgiveness available in the new church. He's seen the power of the Holy Spirit overcome uh, sin to bridge divides, to, to reconcile enemies to heal the broken and the sick, to bring freedom and redemption. The Holy Spirit within the new church, uh, in the apostolic age, has done it all and continues to do it all. Paul is an advocate of the cross's ability to break the power of the law, but Paul doesn't want to see the law set aside. We live by the law, he says, in freedom now rather than fear. We do what God wants uh, of us, because we can, not because we must. We are forgiven, and all things are open to us now, but Paul doesn't want us to move to the end of the story too quickly. He doesn't want us to sweep sin and the law and the consequences of bad decisions under the rug just because we can, because we know God loves and will forgive us anyway. 
Sin and the law ought not to be forgotten just because forgiveness is available to us now. As a father myself now, I want my kids to know that I will love them always in whatever they do. No matter how foolish or ill-advised or defiant, they can always come to me and I will always be there for them. There is nothing they can do that will stop me loving them or wanting the best for them. But at the same time, I want them to do what I ask. I want them to listen to me and to Joni, and I want them to obey their parents. Sometimes it's for their safety, sometimes it's for the best, and sometimes we know better than the seven-year-old because we've seen more of life and understand. I would hope a little more uh, than him. I want him to do as we say. Sometimes, as I said, it's for his good, and sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes it's just for mom and dad's sanity and peace of mind. I want him to do what we say, and I want him to do it because he wants to do it, because he wants to please us, and not because he's afraid of the consequences. Whatever keeps us from God's will, whatever keeps the world from God's will, is sin. If we keep others down, consciously or unconsciously, because we're afraid to give up uh, the benefits we have at, at their cost, that is sin. If we keep Christ's church small because we're afraid to lose the influence and the place of honor we have uh, in some small fellowship, that is sin. Whenever violence occurs, when someone's potential is constrained and limited, when someone's life is diminished or even lost, that, my friends, is sin. When one person's freedom comes at the cost of another's safety or health or peace of mind, that is sin. Sin may be an outmoded world, but it doesn't take too much for each of us to get in touch with the reality that the word describes. Whether it's something we have done or continue to do, uh, that pricks our conscience still, or if it's the larger brokenness of ourselves, of our world, a brokenness that keeps us from living up to our best intentions for ourselves, that which keeps us from our hopes for our communities or from the ideal for our world, uh, a, a larger, larger power influencing us and dragging us down that Paul talks about as the power of sin over us. Uh, it's the power that God wants to free us from in and through Jesus Christ. Or it, it may be the wages of sin that we understand, the consequences of brokenness on a, a cosmic and historic level, on a global and metaphysical reality. The wages of sin are sickness and death, broken relationships and pain and suffering. When I think of, of setting aside sin and overcoming I think of my old friend, Joaquin Vallejos. And you might have heard me talk about Joaquin before. It's a story that I love, and so I tend to repeat it. If you've heard it before, forgive me. Uh, I got to know Joaquin as a young adult. Uh, I was a young adult. He was older than me. Uh, when my home church sponsored him and his family as refugees from El Salvador. I remember Joaquin telling me in one of our visits why his faith was strong. He told me when he was a young man with a family back in El Salvador, his faith was young. He was convinced or convicted that he needed to leave old habits and vices behind. So he prayed that God would free him from addictions to uh, tobacco and alcohol. And just like that, Joaquin told me 
He went cold turkey, and the desire left him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I will acknowledge to you all, that isn't how it works for everyone. That isn't how it works for most. But for Joaquin, that was his testimony. He prayed, and his desire was strong, and that's the way uh, the way it happened for him. He was able to set aside uh, this that he called, these addictions that he called sin in his life. Now, structural uh, sins of violence and dysfunction uh, all around Joaquin in his native El Salvador, that was a different story. Uh, but the same faith gave Joaquin the strength and courage to pack his family in a boat and to make the perilous and bold move to strike out for a new start in a new land as a refugee. Joaquin and his family left the violence of El Salvador in the 70s and early 80s uh, and started fresh. Joaquin points now to the fact that his daughter, Alejandro, who grew up in this new land, is now a successful doctor herself uh, with a family of her own. Joaquin praises God and presents himself to God uh, using the language of Paul from Romans, presents himself to God as one who has brought been brought from death to life, presenting himself and his family to God as instruments of righteousness. Joaquin has been instrumental in starting a new Hispanic church in his new home. Joaquin knows that sin has no dominion over him, since he is not under the law, but lives instead in God's grace. Speaking of sin, uh, will you go with me on a little meditative journey to conclude this morning? Do this for me, if you would. Whether you're here or you're joining us uh, live stream, close your eyes and take a deep breath. Uh, let go of your tight muscles. Shake yourself a little bit if you have to. Let go and relax and go to your happy place in your mind. Think about your happiest time. Uh, or if it's easier for you uh, to imagine, picture your greatest hope and ambition. Picture that reality if you can. Uh, past or future, remember it, imagine it. Who are you with? Uh, if you look around, see the people there with you, there in your mind's eye. Look at yourself and see how awesome you are. Yeah, life is good. See how happy you are, how your life is filled with purpose and meaning. See how you are living up to your full potential. Uh, so take a moment just to savor that image, to revel in that reality, to just enjoy how good it is. Yeah. Now, take a deep breath again and imagine or remember when that time in your life came to an end. Whether it slowly sipped away or suddenly came crashing down, remember the loss of that fullness. Uh, picture it in your mind. Was there pain and frustration? Were you even aware it was slipping away? What, what changed? Can you see it as you look back? 
Was it something you did or didn't do? Something about you? Or was there some way that someone else failed you? Something someone did? Someone who was toxic, who dragged you down by their actions? Why were you cast out of that Eden? Why and how? What stands between you and that happy past? Or if you are picturing some dreamed of future as yet unattained, picture what stands between you and that reality. What keeps you from your hopes and dreams? What stands between you and that happy picture? Is it something that needs to change in you? Something that needs to change around you? Or is that dream even realistic in the first place? Uh, is that dream noble and good and life-giving, or is it tainted in and of itself? Picture in the difficulty and the pain of that reality, that thing that stands between you and that good future, that thing that you can see in your mind's eye keeping you from your full potential, that is sin. That thing, that loss of happiness in the past, that is sin. Even if you think of it as something else, uh, that is the reality that Christ came into the world to change. That is the brokenness that he came to heal and the power that he came to break. Forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation, and healing. Picture these realities. Imagine what they would look like. And now, if you've come this whole way with me on this guided journey of your own inner reality, I'll invite you to take a deep breath again. Take a look around in your mind's eye and make note of what you want to remember. Take a deep breath and prepare to open your eyes again. And go ahead and open them. We entrust these memories and these hopes into your hands, O oh Lord. We confess the ways we distance ourselves from you, the ways we distance ourselves from our better selves, and the ways we distance ourselves from others. Pour out over us the grace and forgiveness that you freely offer through Jesus Christ and fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to choose what is right and frees us from the power of sin, even where that power exists in us and our very selves. We come to the Lord's table today as those who have been forgiven, loved, and freed. The bread and wine offered to us here are the real signs of God's love that eclipses all sin, like the parent who loves the child even when they fall down and hurt themselves. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord.